Welcome to the Social Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we dive into everything South by Southwest. The past couple weeks, our team, including Wheeler, who heads up podcasting, Jesse, who is our director of digital, and William, who's one of our corporate developers, and myself, attended South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and we experienced everything that it had to offer. What was great about having such a big crew there was we were all able to dive into different sessions catered to our interests. And so on this podcast, we talk about what each of those, the highlights, the goods, the bads, and what we think is coming down the pipeline. So let's get into this week's episode number 77, South by Southwest 2019. So the past week and a half, this crew, um, we have William, Jesse, Wheeler, has been at South by Southwest experiencing all of the great things that South by has. And we've learned, went to a lot of different sessions, learned a lot of different things. So I want to take this podcast to talk about the good, the bad, and what's coming down the pipeline. Hmm. So what? first off, let's I'll start with what were some of your guys' favorite things from South by besides the scooters and the drinking, obviously? Um... One of the first things for me was the uh, Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter library. Oh, this is so good. Um, it was just, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, political affiliations aside, like the way that I think uh, the Daily Show was able to pull off this just, you know, traveling museum to Trump's tweets, the presentation, the, uh, I mean, they nailed it. It was, it was amazing. And this thing was all over social media. So, but can you explain to people who haven't seen it, like what it all composed of? Yeah. So, um, essentially the daily show took over the second floor of the, uh, Driscoll hotel in Austin, which is like this historic hotel. I think said it was founded in like 1890 something. Right. It's so it's, um, and they took over the second floor. It just looks like this elegant marble, like ballroom. Um, Gorgeous. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And so they created like a mock museum on this floor, solely based on Donald Trump's Twitter history, right? And so, um, I mean, it was everything from, you know, displays of uh, like like a, a, hist- a histogram of tweets per year to comparing previous tweets versus current tweets. And then they even had like a, was a screen with his live Twitter feed that anytime he tweeted, an alarm went off <laughs> and people would come rushing in and like take a peek. And so the, the day I went, they actually, there were six tweets he tweeted six times, and so you know, all day people were just staring at it and laughing. I mean, it's it, it's amazing. It's they amazing. even had this like bronze like <clears throat> memorial thing that said "Gone but not forgotten," and it was oh, tweets that tweets. he's deleted. Yeah, and it, it was just genius. Yeah. And there was a thing when you first walked in where you could enter in your name and like what Donald Trump would call you. Yeah. Mine was fake Missy Young. Yeah, I was. Uh, Do you remember poor, what yours was? Poorly rated William. <laughs> poorly rated William. <laughs> just all activations were just yeah. genius. But I just think it's like it to me. It's I don't know, there's so many things, but like the, you know, one of the things with, uh, that I thought was cool that Comedy Central and Daily Show, they were able to do is take something that is, you know, digital and make it something that is real that you can touch, right? Like that was a really, I think, cool experience to see that translation. Um, and then I think too, just showing kind of the era that we're in of, you know, you can be as loud as you want on Twitter and that, that reach is, it's, it really is there. Um, but also that stuff is pretty permanent, <laughs> right? So I would say that would be kind of the consistent theme across South by was just taking things that are online and making them into this like cool experience. Hmm. Would you sure. guys agree with that? 
most part? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, one of the most interesting things when you go down there are all of the activations that they have for like different pieces of media. Like there was a gigantic display this year for for a new show that's coming out on Amazon Prime, I believe, called Good Omens. Mm -hmm. And so it was this huge area called like the the Garden of Earthly Delights where you can go in there, get free food, free drinks. But then they're also like heavily promoting the show. And and Wheeler and I were debating just how much money goes into something like this. It's just really kind of mind blowing yeah the the branding that takes place at the event is unbelievable from brands like amazon google was google there google was there netflix in past years showtime you know lululemon these huge houses taken over by these brands it's just uh, a whole nother level of branding that i've never seen anywhere else besides austin during south by and uh the budgets are just incomprehensible did you guys ever find like an amount from anybody that they threw around for how much it would have cost to do that uh, no, we kicked around numbers yeah. in the high six figures. I've been trying uh, to figure that but out. But we like, realistically have no idea. It's got to be. I mean, there was one night where we went to an event that was put on by a creative agency out of Washington, D.C., and we were there near close, and William and I actually got into a conversation with one of just the random like security workers there, and he, we were just kind of throwing out, like, hey, how much do you think something like this costs? And he threw out that just to rent the, the bar and restaurant that this place was at was going to be $75,000 for the one night, and that does not include the food that was given away, the drinks, the, you know, the swag, the they gave away shirts. They Marketing. gave away all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah, they they hired a band. I mean, it's just it's it's unfathomable. He did he did use the word millions in like supplemental things that they're probably paying for, right? So, and the actual owner of the company too made it clear to us that like this was one of the first years that they didn't like run out of you know food and beverages and things like that. He's like, usually the bar will hit me up after the party for an extra like twenty or thirty grand of stuff we went over on, <laughs> right? So like. It's, I don't know. It's, I guess it works for, for a lot of these companies to do, to do marketing like that. So right? what, so what are they say just a million dollars? It's a million dollars yeah. for one of these activations. What are they paying a million dollars mm. for? Obviously they're getting a ton of social media attention from it, but everybody down at South by Southwest is getting a ton of social media. Yeah. So what, what's the benefit of paying a million dollars or however much they pay for one of these installations? I think South by is such a unique uh, gathering of people. You know, the professionals that are there are kind of not not that we are the highest level by any means, but there are the highest level tech professionals in the world, not just the U.S. So, the more that these brands can get their individual brands in front of those people and in a bright light in their minds. If they get just a handful of the right people, that's all they're really looking for. And there's definitely the right people in Austin during South by. So it's really interesting to see the branding. Yeah. If you want to make a global splash, you want an installation at South by. 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just when you think about social chatter alone, when you've got something as big as this Good Omen show, which clearly they're putting a lot of, of effort into marketing. I mean, there was there was people everywhere walking around South by dressed as nuns, dressed as uh, people that were just, you know, the future, like the end is near, you know, uh, you know, the end for, is, the end is nigh. The end oh, is the nigh. End is nigh. Yeah. Yes. The end is nigh. You know, like ask for <laughs> salvation, you know, it's just, there's people all over that, you know, you even start to wonder sometimes when you first get there, are these people legit? Are these legit protesters? And then you find out that they're just, you know, stunt people for this good omen show, which is amazing. But, you know, even within that, with, even within that activation, 
there were so many uh, situations where they wanted you to use the hashtag. There was a there was a thing that I was doing where if you tweeted out um, your fortune, you got like a fortune from this little ball thing with hashtag, you know, good omens, then you could get a free thing. So I did it. And it was just like a really stupid pin that I will literally <laughs> never use in my life. But but they got me to do it, you know. So the, the amount of, of of impressions that they got off something like that, I can't even comprehend. So if if you're looking for social chatter, South by is the place to be. Well, just the ideas too that came from it, like with at the Good Omens tent block, they took up like a huge amount of space. They had a live um, chess game going on, and they were broadcasting it on Twitch. And they had two guys who were, I don't know if they were like chess professionals. Yeah, pro players, yeah. Pro players that were had headphones in that were telling other people what moves to make on the chessboard. And it was like a life-size chessboard. Yeah. And everyone was gathered around watching this. You could see the chatter from everyone on Twitch going on. So it just brought all these new ideas that I'm so excited to like, we should use the clients and things like that. For sure. Was there anything that you guys went to that was kind of a dud that you were like, uh, that sounded really cool. I went to it. It was not, it didn't live up to my expectations. That's such like a, a good question for South by cause South by in general is just this gigantic mishmash of FOMO slash miss. I mean, just missing out slash going to something that you think is going to be amazing. And then you immediately hate it or you stumble into something that you're like, I don't have time to get anywhere, but this. And then it turns out to be amazing. And mm-hmm. you're really happy that you accidentally stumbled into it. We were really excited um, to go to one session that was going to be about tech. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but, but the, but the description sounded amazing. And we go there and it turns out it's a book reading. So we were immediately oh, like, we got to bail. We got <laughs> to hit the abort, abort. Hit the ejection cord on this one. So we left immediately and we went to something. It was just the closest room to where we were that had something that had started within the most recent five minutes. Yeah. And it was a session on, on building trust, which was amazing. But we never would have gone into that had we not had that horrible experience at the first thing that we wanted to do. It's really kind of like luck of the draw. Yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> I know it's into. like, for me, it's so... You know, when I first started going, I really focused on the the like developer specific type of courses because that's I mean, I'm a software guy. So that's, you know, it's like, OK, well, I got to dive in deep to all the software stuff. Right. But what I find is that usually that stuff's kind of introductory and where you really get into the nuts and bolts, kind of like Jesse was saying, is when you're when you're getting into kind of almost out of your comfort zone, some of these kind of more well, what you would say is random to you kind of tracks. Um, so I know like I'm not really involved in like the, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality type of, uh, you know, field, but one of the ones I went to, one of the sessions I went to, that was one of the, that had the, like one of the largest impacts on how, the way I kind of see the future and, uh, see where maybe tech is going was on the AR cloud it's called. And so, um, just seeing the way that computing and technology, um, is coming to be even more personalized and personalized to the extent of, um, you know, I can actually, my phone can know exactly what I'm looking at and be able to tell me information about it and, and lay things over it. Right. So, um, I know that was one that I kind of stumbled into cause I couldn't get into another one and it was like, well, let me check out this AR cloud one. And it was, it was amazing. Right. So it's, it happens all the time. Wheeler and I stumbled into one, um, and I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Was it called Deep Face in journalism? Uh, deep Fakes? Oh, oh, Deep Fakes. Deep, yes. deep Fakes. Deep, deep Fakes. fakes. Yes. Thank yes. you. Yeah. And that one was just kind of a random one. We were like, let's check it out. Um, again, I'm in social, and Wheeler leads podcasting here. So 
totally different than what <laughs> we do. But what's really interesting is they showed this facial recognition software and how, Pat, you'll think this is interesting, how they can't, you can't rely on video to tell um, a true story about what happened. And they showed examples of like Obama and King Jong-un and how people are changing the makes up of what they're saying and it looks real. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, yep, well, that photo could have been photoshopped, but now it's like that video could be fake. Mm. And they, these people in journalism are trying to come up with this technology to distinguish how it was made and if the videos are true or not, especially with social media. You see things and you're like, is that real? Is that not real? So I thought totally unrelated to what I do, but I thought that was a really interesting um, session that we checked out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I also did, because obviously I'm in social media, so I checked out the Facebook art house. It was totally lame. I was so bummed. I was like, yes, Facebook. I know we all ended up going there, didn't yeah, we? I dragged you everybody there. Yeah. You dragged us there. It was... Uh, <laughs> Less than expected, I think. <laughs> so thinking it's going to be all about like creative and, you know, it's called the Facebook art house. You walk in and they literally had like a big screen printing thing. So you get like this Facebook logo on a bag or something. So essentially, let's make it like a T-shirt. Let's make yeah. a bag or something. And that like. was it. And yeah. that was the Facebook art house. So yeah. I was kind of bummed about that one. We got some nice tote bags. We got some tote bags. <laughs> that I've already, bag? I've already given away to a friend. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is there any other cool sessions that you guys think the audience would um, benefit from hearing about? I have a couple other ones I want to talk about too, but. Um, yeah, so I, I, like Missy mentioned briefly, I had a podcasting around here. And um, so my track was very focused on as much podcasting content as I could find. Uh, a lot of good takeaways overall. I went to one cool session that had um, one of the execs from Spotify as well as um, the CFO from Gimlet and uh, CEO of Anchor. I think it was CEO. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about the recent, recent acquisition of Spotify and Gimlet and Anchor. So that was really interesting just to see um, where they're going with that as we kind of enter this golden age of podcasting. Um, another big takeaway in the podcasting world that I got there was uh, one of the largest things the industry has been lagging on is monetization. And uh, Nick Kwa, I believe, made the the point he's the editor of hot pod and writer good newsletter subscribe if you're in a podcast and um he said he's basically that this trend of new media and dollars being slow to enter the space is nothing new you know it's been going on forever from money uh, advertisers being hesitant to put money from print into radio and hesitant to put money from am into fm and um so it's just it's just kind of a normal cycle and we just need to kind of be patient but continue to push the ball forward as much as we can and hopefully good things are on the on the horizon um one of my favorite sessions that i went to while i was there was the ceo of gibson guitar spoke and he took this he used to actually be the ceo of levi's and before that the ceo of solomon for anyone who skis out there knows that brand but they um gibson filed for bankruptcy and he was like, yep, I want to take on being the CEO and I want to help these this company and bring it out because they're a legendary brand. They've been around for 125 years. And so he really talked about, you know, doing things um, like hiring people on your team who are, and I text Pat when, in the session, I was like, <laughs> Pat, this is genius. Um, using the word momentum a lot. So people who are always willing to push things forward. Those are people you want on your team because that's what's going to, you know, bring life into a brand 
like that who you know mm. who've had to file for bankruptcy and he said some of the best brands are so simple from the consumer standpoint so he gave examples like the iphone mm. super easy to use but the back end is so much co- there's all these things going on in the back end but from the user standpoint it's simple and it's easy he's like look at google when you do a search on google it's simple and it's easy for the consumer but on the back end there's this whole algorithm working he's like people need to think about that for brands as well they try to make things so complicated overload people with information about how it works keep it really simple and leave the complicated stuff on the back end they don't need to know all the logistics of everything well it's, i mean that's like you talk about restaurant menus Yes. Some of my favorite restaurant menus are the easy ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might have my favorites at, you know, an Applebee's or a TGI Fridays or yeah. something, but there's 800 million things on the menu. So if you're new, how do you find what you're going to like and everything? And, you know, there's tons of stories about that simplicity, like GoPro a few years ago, they almost went under because they had 12 different models options, that you could yeah. get and they were yeah. all almost exactly the same thing. What's the difference between a silver and a gold and a gold and a black? And mm-hmm. they finally simplified and they've got, what, two cameras now basically mm-hmm. that you can buy and they're they're doing much better. So Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny that you bring that up because I went to, it was actually the session I just mentioned where we accidentally stumbled into it. It was called Building Trust uh, in an Era of Distrust. And he really kind of broke it down into this three-part thing. And it was uh, go all in, show all in human over algorithm and to to connect with what you guys were just talking about finite over infinite and his 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 takeaway on that one was in an era of infinite choice the value of curation skyrockets which he brought up almost those exact same things you know when you go into a five guys they have burgers they have fries that's it you go to mcdonald's and you've got 60 things on the menu. You know, you get stuck behind somebody at the drive-thru there. It's because they're getting overloaded with what's on there. Like they've been to McDonald's countless times, but they get there and they're like, there's too many things. I've got to recalibrate. And I'm almost willing to bet that they'll get the exact same thing that they got last time, but they're getting bombarded with choice. They don't know what they want to do. And he brought up the example of, you know, Apple computers versus if you go onto Hewlett Packard, hp.com, there's... 400 different choices for HP. There's six for Apple. Um, So it's just, you know, our brains were not meant to be given all these options. And it just, it it makes us so much more happy. We feel so much more at home when we're given a limited amount of choices, because then we don't have to overthink things. We can say, yes, this is exactly what I want. It's, you know, it just, it makes so much more sense for us, you know, our internal compatibility. I feel like a few years ago, the big thing was all about like customization, like mm-hmm. making things like you can customize it. Like you can pick your color. You can pick this. You can pick this. Do you want the size? And now it's just like you don't need all that stuff. And I almost feel like you almost feel this like buyer's remorse. Like, did I make the right choice? Did I pick the right thing? Should I have added that extra hundred dollar add on feature to it? And I think it, we need to go back to being more simple. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I went through that exact same process before going to South by, mm-hmm. I wanted a new travel backpack and I went onto Amazon and I searched for travel backpacks and I was so bombarded with choices. I overthought this for, you know, days, you know, not, not in a row, but you know, <laughs> minutes here, minutes there over like a week and a half span. And I was finally like, ah, I got to make a choice. And so the one that I chose, I love, it was amazing. But the thing is, is that I probably would have been super happy with, you know, 15 other bags there, but given so many choices, I got internally overwhelmed and I way overthought things. So it's just, it's so much, 
again, you say it's so much better when you just have a few things to pick from. And I think a lot of businesses overcomplicate things when they really don't need to. Did any of your guys' um, sessions mention uh, the paradox of choice? Have you heard of that book before? No. So, um, and I only know it because I saw the, the, the author's name is Barry Schwartz. And he came out with this book, I want to say it was like 12 years ago. He's probably updated it since, but it's called The Paradox of Choice. And he talks about exactly this where, you know, we get completely overwhelmed because our brains are just not used to dealing with so many options like this. And what happens is because there are so many options, it results in us regretting the decision we made, even if we believed it was the best one at the time, even if the other options are not as good, there's still always a what if game, right? Mm -hmm. Where the idea that, yeah, there's an unlimited number of options we could have taken or choices we could have made. It doesn't free us up. It actually constricts us and makes us afraid that we're making the wrong choice. It makes us anxious, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just something we have to balance, I think, nowadays when obviously as businesses, you're trying to stand out. So that's why I think where the customization thing comes from, right? Because it's, hey, we'll let you be you and your uniqueness come and explore and customize. But the reality is maybe that should be happening on the back end and you should present your product in a simple way that people can understand that doesn't make them freak out about making the wrong choice, right? About going with the option they did. Well, if you're talking about customization, I go back to like Apple computers. If you want an Apple laptop, there are like five choices, six choices maybe on apple.com. And there are, you know, you've got a couple color options, but the way you customize it is with aftermarket stuff. Like you can get this whatever case or sticker to go on your on your product. And Apple hasn't necessarily endorsed any of those, but they haven't stopped anybody from making these products to customize. Apple's just not putting any effort into it because mm-hmm. that doesn't benefit them at all. What, yeah. what do they care if you get a, a space gray or a, a rose gold iPhone or laptop? They just want you to get that laptop and then let some other company advertise to you and spend the effort and the money trying to get you to buy their case or, you know, their bag or whatever it is. So it, it's going back to that simplization, simplification, but it's allowing other people to do some of that customization work afterwards. If you've got the great product that people want in the first place. Do you guys think any of that is uh, generational? Like, you know what I mean? Cause it seems like a fairly recent thing where people have seen this, like it's like this choice overload and we just want I just want simple, right? It's like, let me go to a company that just makes sunglasses. I'm just going to get my sunglasses there, right? It's like, I don't need 20 options. Just give me my three choices. I'm going to pick the middle one, right? I don't know. I no, I agree. And it was funny with your analogy with the the restaurants, because I always think about my guilty pleasures, the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> if you guys have ever been there, the menu is like 15 pages long. And you're like, I can't make a decision. And of course, you get the same thing every time. But it's it's so true. Like, there's just too many choices out there. And this podcast is turning more into like choices than a so- than the South by podcast. But that's how these go. Um, I could talk about another session if that. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. So, um I think for me, one of the one of the key kind of takeaways this year that I a recurring theme I saw was well two things one, um, more so than ever, it seems like technology is getting to a place where um, businesses are I won't even say like targeting individuals, but where um, we're trying to do more business based on the intent of customers, right? We're trying to guess what they are actually wanting and help them get there. Um, so the, one of the sessions I went to, and this was, 
it was it was totally a clickbait you know title for the session but it was called r.i.p websites the end is nigh right <laughs> and um what the uh the the I guess what the speaker was trying to present is that it doesn't matter what he was saying is that in the future, in the near future, your page clicks and how many people are coming to your website, those kind of metrics won't matter as much as giving people a personalized experience and what they're trying to look for and what they're shopping and using um, artificial intelligence to actually guess at what they're trying to do before you're just serving them everything, right? So he walks through this entire process of, um, a young woman getting engaged and going from getting engaged to getting married and having purchased, a, you know, looked for a wedding dress, uh, tried on wedding dresses, shopped for a wedding dress, purchased it, got everything set up. And she like didn't go to a website the whole time. She was using like uh, like contextual like chats, right, like through Facebook or Google or whatever. And it's like the way Facebook Messenger and some of these other systems are allowing for is as a business, you can have automated responses to things. You can guess people what they're trying to get at. You can send them options through those systems. And so the way he laid it out was like this entire process happened and she never even went to a website for, you know, the dress for the for the dress company or for um, the catering company or whatever. It was all through uh, communication, like chatting back and forth, talking with people. Whether or not she was talking with a human, I was or not, say, was at it what actually point, people? Yeah. Sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. Right? But he's like, "Can we get to a place where we're offloading some of that initial intent, um, kind of surveying to smart technology, and then a human, a salesperson, is stepping in when it's kind of the handoff period, right? When it gets a little more customized." So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool when in an age, like he's almost in an age of noise, right? When there's so much noise, people are kind of looking for more curation. It's like, you know, literally if, if you needed to do something complicated, there's, there's so much to do. I mean, let's say you were 16, you just got a car and you're like, Oh, I got a, something's wrong with it. What am I supposed to do? Right? Like, it's like, yeah, you could ask your parents if they're around or whatever, but it's like, what if literally you search for it and then it opens up like a chat with somebody and they're telling you what to do and how to do it and where you can go and take it, right? It's, I don't know, it's, I think the future of the, the digital landscape and the internet is one where, much like the way Google's autocomplete works, is it's almost like this autocomplete for life in a sense, right? Where you're, it's filling in your intentions and giving you what you need to get there. Or what it thinks you need or what somebody has paid to tell you that you need. <laughs> all true. All Pat, true. Pat always all, goes to the dark side. That's fair. That's fair. Um, the opposite of the dark side, though. I, I, I don't want to miss what Missy started off this podcast about. What's up with the scooters? <laughs> so many scooters. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. I think most cities... Uh, around the country, I'm sure a lot of you know that there's these scooters popping up, these electric app-based scooters, limes and birds and jumps and lifts. Um, and I've never seen anything like it before <laughs> South By. And, there's piles of scooters everywhere. And it makes sense because the South By, it's all kind of spread out. You know, the mm -hmm. conferences spread across a dozen hotels and venues all within about four, four miles, two, three miles of each other. And so it's really efficient way to get around the conference. And everyone at South by is at least somewhat techie. You know, everyone has smartphones, everyone has apps, everyone knows how to use QR codes. So everyone was on scooters constantly. People were going down. 
I saw a couple of people crash. Someone might have crashed in this room. Um, but it was there were scooters everywhere. And it was it was chaos. Yeah, but so the joke cool. the joke at South by because everyone was riding them, and it's funny because I saw a couple other people post blogs about their South by experience, and they're all talking about the scooters as well. It's just it's just crazy. So many scooters. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny. The first couple of days that we were there, we hated everybody on scooters. Every time somebody scooted by, we're like, that guy can just go somewhere with that scooter. <laughs> but then. We, we were sit. Well, then we tried it. We were we were at the hotel and we needed to get across town pretty quickly. And we said, "Forget it. Let's just try one of these scooters." And it was the most fun thing. <laughs> the best ever. experience and ever. And from that point on, you're just like, "Where's a scooter? I want to ride a scooter." And it, this, it, they are just they're they're really fun. I mean, I think that there is you know an issue, um, you know, in cities where they don't have designated bike lanes. Like, where do these scooters go? Because they're not necessarily fast enough to go on the street. I think we clocked our max speeds at. Like, you know, 13, 14 well, miles an hour. I got up to like 17 on one of the birds. <laughs> birds are quick. <laughs> so, so you get, you, you can't go any faster than that. You know, so even in a 30 mile per hour lane, you know, you're ruining everybody else's life. But then you also are ruining people's lives when you're trying to go on the sidewalk. You know, so we got, you know, the, the, the side eye from a couple people that we would pass on the sidewalk saying, you know, get on the street. You know, but we're like, I, you know, we're not fast enough to go on the street. So it's, it makes you feel bad, you know, when you're riding these things. But they're so convenient to get around in on. Mm -hmm. And when you have the app, they just unlock so quickly and you park them so fast. It's it's going to be interesting to see how and if they 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 take on here just because of, you know, you're not going to be able to ride them for more than, you know, five or six months a year. Yeah. So according to uh, Austin City Data, a total of 377,000 trips were taken on stand-up scooters during South by Southwest. Wow. Uh, and it's it's really like speaking of branding and like there's such a battle going on between these different scooter companies right now. Oh there's four of them and not really any of them had like a much bigger presence than any of the others in Austin. And it's getting getting a little dirty too. Some of the companies are hiring people to go out with Sharpies and to cover up QR codes. I saw a guy doing it on one and I figured a company has to be hiring me to do it. I don't think anyone would just do that for fun. Um, but I guess I don't know a company's hiring them to do that. So it's a total battle of who will win the scooter. Kind of like <laughs> scooter Uber, wars. Uber and Lyft, how they're facing off. Now they now they got the scooters. And the Uber bikes, the electric bikes, unbelievable. Hey, Wheeler, you were the only one that actually used the bike. Yeah. I think all the rest was just and using scooters. The bike the bike was totally cool. Yeah. It was amazing how fast it was. And they had, so they've had scooters in Minneapolis before, right? In the past? I think there are some here. Mi Minneapolis yeah. and St. Paul both have, I think, Bird and Lime. Lime. Really? So I wonder if that's, yeah, they just, that'll launch everywhere now and... It was awesome. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Minneapolis and St. Paul are, are good cities for it. We're, we're constantly rated one of the best cities for biking, and so that helps that scooter because there are bike lanes and there are places for it. That was a huge help go. in Austin, having the yeah. bike lanes on some of the main yeah. thoroughfares. I mean, there was one day where we took, God, it felt like five miles. We were on just a straight shot like down in the city. The bike lane made it totally doable. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, too. It was two years ago at South by... I was walking from one venue to another one and ran by somebody who was like, hey, test out this electric scooter. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he was like, come on, dude, just come over and do it. 
So I got on and, and wrote it like back and forth. And it wasn't until I got there this year that I realized that the company that I had like run into last year was Lime. So they were just having people test those things out, even though you couldn't find them anywhere, you know, on the streets in Austin. There was just like a new thing that they're like, hey, you know, come and play with this. You know, we're, we're you start up, we're up and coming. And then this year, again, like they were littered everywhere. You know, you almost couldn't go a block without finding one. But of course, as much as, one. Yeah, as much as they were used with 377,000 times, then you come to realize that there's a lot of them that are dead, that need their batteries charged, that people forgot to park, so they're unavailable, or for whatever other reason, we're just out for maintenance. So there was a couple times when we were just in, in, in rough shape trying to find one to get to someplace fast. What would you say your guys' biggest takeaway from South By was as far as something that you started implementing already? And again, I know it's only been like a few days since we've been there, <laughs> mm. but was there something that like really stood out to you? They're like, oh, I'm going to bring this back and I'm going to start implementing this for my clients or my brand or for podcasting or for website development. Yeah. One of the things that uh, they touched on was obviously with, through our nature of our business, we're so local focused mm-hmm. and uh, I, I forgot which session it wasn't exactly. I think Jesse was in there with me as well. Um, they were talking about how at the end of the day, it's still so important that you communicate with your audiences in like a tactile way and an intimate scale as possible. And like to really engage locally is so important as, as this whole media and tech world blows up on a national and global scale, you can't forget about your local audiences. So that was good to hear just cause that's something that we've thought and try to live by often, but it's just good to reinforce and hear it on the South by level, I guess. Yeah. I think for me, um, well, all of us dealing in digital, I think one of the uh, one of the sessions I went to, for me, a, a very impactful thing was um, he mentioned something that Jeff Bezos said years ago when he was asked a question about Amazon. And he was asked, you know, what do you think is going to change in the next 10 years um, that's going to you know affect your business, where things are going, you know, what's trending, what's going to be changing? And he actually said, you know, I'm asked that question all the time. But the question that I've been kind of focusing on more now is what's not going to change in the future for the next 10 years. And what can I consistently rely on, you know, whether it be a particular human behavior or just how people are that I can base my business on. Right. So for him at Amazon, it's, you know, in 10 years, people aren't going to be saying, you know, I really wish the prices on Amazon were more expensive. You know, I, I, they're not going to be saying, I really wish that my packages would come slower. Right. So he's like, I know that I can build my business on what's not going to change, which is people are going to want lower prices and they're going to want you know fast deliveries, right? So that's one of the things that they've focused on and that's really helped them succeed. It doesn't mean that you completely forget to innovate. You know, it's not it's not like it's a, you know, um, a zero-sum game type of thing. But I think for me coming back and working on projects, that just that one thing has made me want to make sure I'm investing in uh, what I'm building right now as it's going to be around for something like 10 years. Right. And not just build things as like a throwaway, but that, you know, let me focus in on things and put the quality in assuming that this is still going to be used right with, with, with longevity. So, you know, for me, I, I, I thought it's been interesting since we've got back almost every single person that, that we went to South by with has had like a big takeaway and I didn't really have, 
one big one, you know, really. I had a bunch of little ones, you know, that, that have tried to implement here and there, you know, kind of everywhere. So it's, you know, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, like Wheeler said, um, you know, when, when everything is, is kind of globalizing and we, we, we talk about all these gigantic monopolies and there's four or five companies that seem like they're going to control the world, you know, at some point, you know, there is a real strong interest in, in, in local. There's a real strong interest in curated content. You know, um, there's a real strong interest in, um, in that human personal touch, you know, that you don't get from some of these, from some of these big companies. I thought that was interesting. I like, I went to a couple of other ones just talking about, you know, content, you know, how do we create good content for the people, you know, that, that we're creating content for, you know, and sometimes not overthinking that, you know, trying to make something that really speaks to you, uh, trying to make something that, you know, that you find really entertaining is, is a good way to create something that a lot of other people will find entertaining. It is so hard to predict what the masses will like. But if you bring out something that you like and that you're really passionate about, there's a lot better chance that somebody out there is going to connect with you on that personal level and probably be more interested in it than if you're trying to cater it to, to something else. Um, everything we talked about, we're actually going to do a blog post on all this because we covered just like a small piece of some of the highlights from our trip. And so we'll do, launch a blog post. It's going to be on HubbardInteractive.com so you guys can find links and to everything. And we'll also put it in the show notes mm-hmm. for this podcast as well. Thank you guys for being on and covering our South by experience. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.